This is an audio recording of the Lendit Fintech Weekly News Show. The show is streamed live on Lendit TV, LinkedIn, YouTube, and Twitter at 5 p.m. Eastern Time every Thursday. In this fast-paced show, the Lendit News team and a special guest discuss the most important fintech news stories of the past week. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome back to the Lended Fintech Weekly News Show. My name is Peter Renton, Chairman and Co-Founder of Lended Fintech, uh, and joined, as always, by my good friend, Todd Anderson. How are you doing, Todd? I'm good, Peter. How are you? I'm good. Uh, and back again for, I don't know, like the fourth or fifth time, we have Kat Utek from Core Innovation Capital. How are you doing, Kat? Doing well. Happy to be the first show of 2022. So yes. excited to be here. Thanks for All having right. me. And so just, uh, you were, we were just talking before we hit record, you got to tell us a little bit about what you did over the holidays. Yeah. So I went scuba diving in Malpalo for anyone in the audience that likes to scuba dive and they're like actually really good at scuba diving. Uh, I highly suggest it. It's a 30 hour boat ride off the coast of Colombia. It's just as good as like a Galapagos Socorro. Uh, and what else would I be doing but swimming with the sharks? So uh, <laughs> during work, during the holidays, I just love it. Um, but right. no, I will highly suggest Mel Palo. So go. Okay. Okay. Well, let's, uh, let's get into the news, busy news week. Um, we have, I want to lead off with, uh, with SoFi um, because. Yeah, the, the SoFi have uh, first they applied for a banking a banking license, then they just said they were going to acquire a bank, and now they have received approval from the OCC and the Fed. So they're they're getting much much closer to becoming a bank. SoFi Bank, the stock I didn't actually check what the closing price was, but when I looked this morning, they were up like thirty five percent over the past two days. Um, so they are, they're going to acquire a community bank in California and they, that deal should close next month. So we're going to see SoFi bank, uh, pretty soon, I would imagine. Yep. I think it's nice to, to see the OCC has managed to, to find a FinTech application that, that they like. So that's, <laughs> <we could see. laughs> right. Great, great news. Great start to the year. <laughs> it was only a matter of time before, you know, SoFi became a bank, um, mm-hmm. It's, you know, they, they feel more like a bank than a lot of the other fintechs out there. Yep. Uh, yeah, they got you, a pretty broad diversified offering. For sure. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and so, yeah, and now the, the benefits of their football stadium will also pay off this year with the Super Bowl um, yep. there in just a few weeks. So, so far, certainly off and running to start 2022. I can't, I can't. I can't think about SoFi Bank with, all, with with first thinking about that Super Bowl ad they ran. I think it was like 2016 or something, where it was yeah. "Don't Bank SoFi." Was, mm-hmm. uh, it was actually a <laughs> how ironic. A, yeah, and now it's um, yeah, kind of come full circle. But uh, anyway, kudos to them. I think it's a uh, you know it's a good thing for fintech to get another another bank over the line, shall we say? Speaking of banks. Um, Another next story I want to talk about is this. Uh, it was Penny Crossman, an American banker, um, talking about this. Uh, yeah, small banks set to go live with Bitcoin trading, and this is not just uh, one or two or three or four. We're talking like three hundred banks uh, expect to go live with Bitcoin trading this year. In fact, by the end of Q2, they're saying. So you're able to you'll be able to go into your community bank app and buy Bitcoin on your inside your bank app. This is all done through NYDIG. 
Um, they've, they've sort of created the technology to do that. They, you know, the banks have sort of worked through the reg- walked through the regulatory concerns, and um, and they have, you know, I sorry, I just dropped my, dropped my um, connector here. <laughs> that didn't cause any major noise. Um, so anyway, they, they've um, they've gone through the regulatory concerns, security concerns. This is endorsed by the American Bankers Association and the Independent Community Bankers Association, and. Uh, and you know it's all being enabled by NIDIG. I mean, banks. This is the year. Banks and crypto. What do you think? Yeah, this I is think the year. Be, yeah, yeah. I think it'll be interesting to see if people that are going to regular banks, how much they'll trade it. Are you going to be as active as some of these that are in all these like uh, Robinhood apps? Are they going to be so active? It's probably a different demo that's in some of these banks. So um, it'll be interesting to see. A fun fact that I had heard is pretty much no one's going to horse tracks anymore. And uh, my theory is because now you can, you know, you know, bet on things like this. And I think that's what we're seeing more and more people do. So uh, I, I, I feel very uh, bearish on the horse track market, <laughs> in the crypto market. <laughs> right. I mean, it's a it's, these small banks need to do something to. Um, at least begin to get involved in the space before they're like five years behind in one year. Uh, And so they need to at least take small steps. And, you know, certainly it's not the same demographic that uses, you know, either Coinbase or Robinhood or whatever. Uh, But I'm sure someone's starting to ask the bankers, like, what's this crypto craze about? My son, my daughter, they're all involved in it. Like, you know, should I be doing it? Do you guys do it? And so the community banks probably like, you know, it's it's shouldn't be that hard for us to do with good partners um, and, you know, kind of see where it, it takes them, because eventually it's going to be widely adopted. It's already getting there uh, and doing something like this is is probably not that big of a step for them, though. I'm sure there's plenty of hurdles to get through, uh, but it's something that they probably have to do. Yeah. The one thing that was interesting to me about the article is that they said they have um they have really resolved the regulatory concerns. And I, I, that was surprising to me because I feel like the regulatory concerns are not resolved is, is how it feels like to me. But uh, you know, you're, going to, you're going to get more and more banks. And I feel like the more banks that come in, um, the more the regulators are probably going to be a little bit more open because if they suddenly got 300 banks that are offering this, do they want to just shut it all down? So. I think it's still one to play out, but boy, um, you know, I, I think it's going to be one of those things. There's going to be like a bank watch. I mean, when's one of the top ten banks going to offer this? Because you know, in Australia, the number one bank in Australia, Commonwealth Bank or CBA, um, they are um, offering it today, and they've got like not just Bitcoin, but like ten cryptocurrencies. They're using Gemini, but um, that's so that's that's happening in down under. But here, I think it's only a matter of time. I don't know whether it be this year or whatever, but. Uh, this is, uh, as I said, this could be the year that banks get in. Anyway, um, moving on, I want to touch on Ron Shevlin's piece uh, this week. He talked about bank fintech partnerships. And this was some pretty interesting stats here that I, I didn't really appreciate at all. Um, he said that, uh, this is from Cornerstone Advisors, that's Ron Shevlin's firm, um, new, the survey they did, 89% of banks say fintech partnerships are important. Okay, that's good. But, and 65% have said they've entered into a fintech partnership. 35% have actually invested in a fintech. This is the thing that that um, that was really most interesting. Only 14% of 
have realized a gain, a, more, a, a moderate, a very modest gain, like they're talking 5% gain in revenue because of a fintech partnership. So what do you, I mean, I, I think there's a, there's a, what Ron was basically saying was that the banks aren't really set up. A lot of it's fintech theater. They're not really set up to do this, but um, I'm just wondering if it's too early. What do you guys think? Yeah, I, I think it's just too early to tell, right? He was looking at a lot of co- uh, partnerships that were starting in 2019 and 2020. Um, it'd be interesting to see, I think, during COVID. And if you had numbers for 2021, I think that changed. I think some of these these banks wouldn't be able to, have, you know, pretty much have functioned so much in the in the online world had the fintech partnerships, you know, not existed. And we've just seen how much growth has happened in these partnerships during this COVID period. So mm-hmm. it would be interesting to see that and would be interesting to see partnerships over a longer period of time. The other thing is, I think in the banks, there's only certain parts that are willing to work with fintechs, right? It's still early adopters. And if you're talking about some of these large banks, who cares? Even if, even if the fintech partnership brings in like $100 million, it's such a small drop in the bucket compared to like, you know, other parts of their real business. So um, I don't know. I would love to dig like really close into the data set and, and then see what he, what he finds in a, in a year or two from now. I mean, the I think the <clears throat> the other number, the eighty nine percent, they must think it's important for some reason, and they're not just you know thinking it's important not to make money. So they, there's definitely some long term way that at least they're envisioning that they're going to make more money this way, and so maybe it's not been realized yet. And I think it's I agree with both of you about the it's probably too short term. Um, but if almost nine out of 10 banks believe there's value in it, then there has to be some payoff to it because they're not just going to do it to do it. Yeah. And I, that's what I think. I think we're just too early. Like as Kat was saying, you know, 20, 2020, 2021, really a lot of gains made um, and that they probably aren't going to necessarily show up in revenue in 2021. All right. There's going to show up in revenue in this year and next year. So I, I, I think I'd love to do the survey again in two years time. I think it's going to be a vastly different result expectation and plus not only that i think the thinking inside banks has has altered dramatically in the last two years um, from where it was in 2019 Uh speaking of banks we are going to talk about jp morgan uh they did their earnings call and of course they released all uh all the data and uh we got to find out how much how much money they made and how much money they spent and the thing that everyone um picked up on was this $12 $12 billion number. That's how much they're spending on technology. And uh, you now it's roughly half of it is to what they call run the bank. And the other half is to change the bank. So we'll, uh, you know, it's still, I mean, a- that's the, fu- that's the more interesting part of the story. It's like they spend $6 billion a year to upkeep crappy technology. Mm-hmm. That's more than most, you know, banks in the world spend on new technology. They spend it to upkeep crap. <laughs> uh, and I mean, it's yeah. Obviously, there there's nuance to it. And uh, I think part of the uh, budget, which I found interesting, was migrating uh, to the cloud. Uh, but still, I mean, that's a lot to spend um, on just keeping technology that you've already deemed that's not really very good. This is probably why 89% think that the fintech partnerships are important. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. And I mean, I think that's the, that's the piece here that, uh, you know, I mean, it's, I mean, not to be, to be fair, to, to, to change, change JP Morgan Chase, uh, mm-hmm. 
you know, the, the, their entire system, the whole their core systems. I can't imagine how complex that is. Probably, it's 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 there's got to be thousands of different systems in there. But um, yeah, that's I mean, that changed the bank. That's that's what they, they like they talked about quite a bit. Um, and you know, they they mentioned in the article too that one of the articles we were reading that was that um, you know, Chase positions themselves as the underdog. Going after the yeah. scrappy the chase, scrappy, scrappy underdog with 59 million digital users. Um, they are not exactly with, and with that sort of budget, you know, you can't call an underdog in any, in any shape or form. But anyway, let's, let's, let's move on to, I think a really interesting story this week. There's the you know, crypto.com. They, you know, if you've been watching any sports over the last two months, you've seen Matt Damon, um, talking about uh, fortune favors the brave. Um, the crypto.com commercials are played endlessly. I've seen probably them 100 plus times. Um, anyway, they were hacked last weekend. And, and it was really weird because it wasn't a lot of these hacks happen and people come out and they tell you all the details and it's really damage control from day one. Originally, they said, oh, yeah, there were no funds lost. Um, that's what the CEO said. Um, and they, and then now now the word comes out was yes that uh, funds were lost um, around thirty four million dollars four thousand eight hundred thirty six ETH four hundred forty four Bitcoin um, were actually pilfered off off the accounts. Now they're saying the people who hold that money are going to be um, made whole and they're not going to lose any of that, any of that money. But uh, still, it's just it felt like a just a whole a strange story that was a really slow moving story all week is how it felt like to me. Yeah. I have a feeling there's probably a lot more to that story that, that we, that we don't know, mm -hmm. but I do think it highlights an opportunity that, you know, we've been seeing in the space is for, so for people to provide some time of insurance for crypto, both, both on the consumer side and also on the platform side. Um, and it's, it's, it's one thing if you're, if it's social engineering and you make a mistake and you give someone your passport, you weren't careful enough, everyone should be doing two-factor authentication. It's another thing if like the ha platform was actually hacked. And so there should be some type of insurance for that. And, mm -hmm. and we're watching more and more companies come out to do it. I also think it's just like, you know, some people in the crypto space just, it's it's so much better just to be open and honest. Right. <laughs> Why even put yourself behind the eight ball? It's like, just say, all right, we got hacked. This is what happened. Like the more, and, and this is where, you know, you know, we, we know the people in Congress are, can't understand a lot mm -hmm. of this, but these are the things that they'll point to as, um, you know, things. And this is a small example compared to some of the other things, but this is where they'll be like, Oh, you know, they can't be honest with their customers. They lie to, uh, you know, the public that they were hacked and they weren't hacked. It's like little things like this just give more ammunition against what could be a lot of clarity in regulation and stuff. And it seems like for every time there's movement forward, it's like something like this happens and they shoot themselves in the foot, a big CEO or something in the space. It's like just be as transparent as possible right now. Yep. Yeah, it's one of the reasons why I, I have my crypto investments spread across five exchanges and a MetaMask wallet. Um, uh, it's because I feel like it's just a, it's a risk to to have it all in one place. Uh, I, before we go on, I do want to highlight just a little co comment we had from one of the listeners here, talking about uh, the big banks um, and talking about big banks buying small banks or merging with another bank. Um, 
yeah, and fintech companies being a good option to create neobanks. Totally agree there. But let's 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 move on um, to NFTs. We're gonna we got a we got a couple of NFT stories here. This one just came out today, um, and uh, talking about Meta, um, formerly Facebook, but uh, trying to get in the habit of calling them Meta. Um, they um, they came out today saying they are going to potentially launch their own NFT marketplace. They are going to allow users to display NFTs on their profile, both Facebook and Instagram, looking at NFT integrations for their platform. Um, interestingly, in a separate unrelated story, or separate and related, I should say, Twitter is also exploring uh, putting NFTs on uh, profile pictures. Uh, so, so, you know, this is... Um, you know, we've had we have OpenSea that has a ridiculous valuation, and uh, and the majority of the market. When I the first time I I bought an NFT was on OpenSea. It was about a year ago now. Actually, it was um, that it's going to be a very competitive marketplace. It's not going to be um, just uh, OpenSea having it to themselves. Agreed, and it, it makes sense though that all these big platforms are doing it. I don't know why they wouldn't, and like. Right, uh, Twitter is obviously all in about blockchain and what they what they want to be doing. And I see people, you know, if you're going to go buy one of these uh, uh, bored apes, why wouldn't you want to display it everywhere to show that you right. love? Mm-hmm. So, uh, it, it makes sense. And, and honestly, I think that the more platforms that, that allow it, the better, because that's going to become people's digital identity, and they can do it cross platform. So I think yeah. it's great that you can you can you can have it follow you. Yeah, the more the better. Uh, and I think um, you know NFTs still probably have some time to figure themselves out. There'll be some craziness that happened with them, as was the case with crypto in, in 2017, 2018. And then you know the market will kind of figure itself out. Um, but the, and the more places like this, the quicker you get to that. Um, so yeah, I think it can only be ultimately beneficial to the overall market in the end. Right. And I think Kat hit the nail on the head. I feel like this is going to become our digital identity or part of our digital identity. And, um, you know, I think that's, that's where NFTs, I, you know, particularly with the, the younger generation, I feel like they're just, it's just makes, it makes logical sense. You just, it's going to be such a, a sort of an integral part of, um, you know, of sort of just, you know, not just in the, not just sort of on the, Meta on on the Facebook platform on Twitter or what have you, but you know when you're playing games, when you're in the metaverse, you're gonna have your your NFT follow your you know being part of your you know, digital persona. I, I'm really bullish on it. I think it's gonna be a, a major major trend that is not even you know, not even really getting started yet. So, um, but on the NFT, um, just on the NFT story, I want to talk also about. Um, Coinbase, um, but Coinbase and Mastercard this week. Uh, so, but it was one of the things. As I said, I, I went and bought my first NFT uh, like a year ago, and oh my god, it was one of the most painful experiences of my of my life. Just having to go and, you know, you've got to get um, you've got to get you've got to get money into your MetaMask wallet, then you've got to and the, and the gas fees are incredible, and you have to pay. You have to go to OpenSea, and it was it was just a really um, it's like a five-step process, and each step costs money and time, and 
So Coinbase recognizes this, and Coinbase obviously have their own NFT platform that they are working on, um, and what they're, they're, they're basically partnering with um, MasterCard. So you should be able to, on the Coinbase NFT platform, buy an NFT with your MasterCard. That's what it looks like um, is going to happen. So uh, an easy on-ramp that will just, there's another, just a, another bullish uh, sign for, uh, for NFTs. I think this is one of the most important like announcements, you know, recently in crypto, because one of the reasons, I mean, people, I think, start the process and then they easily get dissuaded and people are so used to just, you know, one click, one swipe, you don't even have to swipe one tap. And, you know, in, in, and even in some stores, just walking through and it reads your, your, your card and your identity. And it's so, so painful a lot in the crypto market. And so if you can do this via your credit card and it's that simple, I think this is when you start getting more mainstream adoption. Um, it'll be interesting to see how they deal with a lot of the security issues and chargebacks and things like that. Um, Cause it's so, so I can't wait to dig into the details of what this actually looks like, but I think this is one of the biggest steps to, for it to become mainstream. And the other thing I think is the more that Visa, MasterCard, JP Morgan get involved, the quicker we are going to get to rules that are, um, you know, more, um, I guess, uniform and, and easier uh, for Congress to say, and, uh, you know, the SEC and them to say, all right, we have to do something now because all these big financial institutions are involved in some way or another in the space. Uh, and so the more MasterCards, the better. Um, and right. ultimately it gets us there quicker because, you know, if the banks want, um, you know, the crypto regulation, they can obviously help to make that happen because of the power they have in Washington. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how if the if if the crypto companies can keep up with like right Mastercard and Visa have some of the highest transaction processing volume per second. Obviously, a lot of these other companies don't. So if the volumes go up, it, it'll be it'll be interesting to see some of the crashes or some of the delays that may happen because I think Mastercard and Visa are at a whole different level than most of these other companies. But again, net net, I think it's it's good for the ecosystem, and I think the the regulators have come out and said they're they're going to take a stronger stance. But this is this is forcing their hand sooner than later. Right. Yeah. Well, keep in mind though. I mean, what I was this was realizing that you know, like Autograph, um, for example, the company that's Tom Brady's and a few other people's mm -hmm. company. Yeah. They uh, and they just had a big raise this week. They, um, you can buy, you can buy NFTs there. Like they had a whole bunch. They've got, I see, they got Naomi Osaka um, out there now. But um, you know, they got Tom Brady, Tiger Woods, Derek Jeter, Wayne Gretzky. I mean, super superstars in the sports sports arena. And I, and I've been trying. I've tried like several times to buy NFTs on their site, but there's just the demand is so high that you that every day they, they haven't been able to do it yet. But not, you just need you just need a credit card to do that. So there are, and there's all these NBA Top Shot. They have they have mm -hmm. their own. You know, that's just a that's like a similar type of system. What I mean, the, the, these are obviously centralized systems. What they're talking about is anyone be able to create an NFT and then sell an NFT. That's kind of where we um, really have. I think you know we have we've got to come. We have still got a long way to go. And uh, I think that's what that's what's interesting. I think about you know, Facebook's announcement, Coinbase. You will be able to create your own NFT and sell it. And on Coinbase, it looks like it's going to be able to be done with a credit card, which yeah, that's a good thing. Okay, so moving on to my favorite topic, 
um, overdraft fees. And I, I like to highlight, we've been do- doing this for a while now, Kat, where we have, there's been a lot of movement. Almost every week there's been mm-hmm. something um, happening on the overdraft front. And uh, we have this week Truist, mm-hmm. another top 10 bank. Last week we talked about Bank of America and Wells Fargo. This week it is Truist. Um, they are basically, they're basically saying they're completely overhauling their uh, their bank accounts, uh, their checking account. They're going to launch Truist One Banking, a totally new type of account. That's going to happen over the summer. It's going to have no overdraft fees, no NSF fees. Um, they've acknowledged that this is going to reduce their overdraft income uh, in a couple of years by three hundred million dollars, or sixty percent. That's that's a that's serious money. Um, but uh, you know they're obviously doing it. They're, they're they're doing it because I think they've seen everybody else. They don't want to be the last. They don't want to be the last uh, last one standing without any kind of. Uh, any kind of overdraft strategy that to eliminating it. So more good news for, I think for consumers to, that are uh, not going to have, um, not going to have these overdraft fees. Certainly yeah. one of the bigger impacts of FinTech thus far um, in financial services has been, you know, dropping fees at uh, banks. And so, uh, you know, those like Dave and Chime um, should get a lot of credit for this uh, and banks now, have started to see the light and um, you know, they're kind of just forced to do this because I'm assuming that they're probably seeing customers go out the door because they're going to go to another institution that doesn't charge the fees or has a you know, grace period and lets you get money in your bank account without uh, you know, being hit by these crazy fees. So huge, huge win uh, for FinTech uh, and a big impact thus far. Agreed. It's exciting. I mean, these companies started existing because the banks were ignoring their customers that were on the on the lower end of their spectrum and just didn't care. And now they do. They realize, oh, these people actually do matter to us. So I think it was that. And then I think it's also that they were concerned that the regulators might go after the fees anyway. So rather right. proactively do it than have the regulator come after you and then at least, you know, look consumer friendly. So a uh, huge hats off to uh to, to Chime, Dave, Bridget, all of those that, that helped end this process. Yeah, no, it's, it's, uh, I totally agree. I think that they, they, I don't think we'd be in this situation, but for the moves that were made, I think it was Dave that was really the first, uh, the first on the, on board here. And I think it's such a good thing for financial health. I mean, it's, it, overdrafts is classic win-lose situation where the bank wins and you lose. And, and it's, that, those sorts of things I, I always think are unsustainable long-term. Now, they've been around for decades but it looks like the writing is finally on the wall. Because what I what I would really what I always hoped when I when with overdraft fees is I always hoped it would be a demand driven decline, like that pe- basically people would uh, would not be doing overdraft fees because they had better alternatives. And I think that's part of it, but um, certainly part of it is uh, I think as you say regulatory risk as well. Anyway, we're going to wrap up this week with a story out of Russia. This was on CNBC. Um, Talking about uh, Russia is going. They have a proposal to ban crypto use and crypto mining. And keep in mind, Russia is the third largest Bitcoin miner in the world. Used to be China was the largest. Um, then they, they they banned it there. The US is now the largest. I think Kazakhstan is number two because all the Chinese went to Kazakhstan. Some of them went to Russia, um, and um, you know, now Russia is talking about banning it. You know they have. Uh, Annual um, crypto transactions estimated at $5 billion worth. Um, so 
you know, Russia, I don't know whether they're just trying, I mean, who knows what the, this, the, what, what the real reason is here, but it's, it's going to be one of those things where, um, you know, crypto mining is going to be probably, probably focused on the Western world in, uh, in, in places where it's probably not going to get banned. Any thoughts? Yeah, I think you're also seeing, right, yeah, going down to like South America too, right, where people are in welcoming in open arms. Right. I think a lot of these dictatorships, they don't want to lose control and their economies are, are good enough. So I think in, in, in even in South America where there's dictatorships, but your economy is not good, you're welcoming anything that can help kind of boost where you are and that'll keep you in power, you know, where, where the economies are actually doing okay and you think you're, the government thinks they're losing control, I think they they rather ban crypto or control it and, and, and make sure that it's done under their purview, which you really can't do with Bitcoin mining. So I don't think would be a huge, uh, would, would be a huge surprise if, if they get rid of it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well said. I mean, it's, yeah, these dictatorships are all scared of it. Um, and if it can't help them, <laughs> then they're scared of it. China banned it and they want to put everyone through the, the digital yuan. Uh, and they didn't want Bitcoin to get, you know, money out of the country and to avoid uh, Chinese regulators. And Russia's probably doing something similar. I mean, it's kind of the way that those countries work. And um, you know, I'm sure it will evolve to somewhere else uh, in terms of the, you know, Bitcoin mining. Yeah, yeah, and keep it's interesting also that uh, Russia is planning to have a, a CBDC, a digital version of of their ruble currency and uh you know that's like china i think china just wants wants everything focused on that mm-hmm. um i think um you know who knows if if we, it's hard to predict uh, what's going to everything be like 10 years down the track but uh you know it's just you know, I, I feel like there's there's a lot of economic activity that's going to happen um in the crypto space that is going to be absent from russia and china <coughs> anyway that, that, that is a wrap for this week. Thank you very much, Kat. Thanks always, Todd. Quick reminder before we go, we have the um, FinTech Nexus Dealmakers Summit happening in Miami next month. Kat is going to be there. Todd's going to be there. I'll be there. Yep. You should be there too. And uh, we will go to lender.com to find out more there. And, of course, coming up um, fairly soon, it's only four and a bit months away now, is our big USA event happening in New York City, May 25th and 26th. So, again, lender.com, check it out. So thanks very much, guys. We'll be back same time next week. Thanks. See ya. See ya. Bye, Cap. <laughs>